and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. We all just give a mighty welcome to Pastor Corey as he comes up to give us round two. Amen, amen. Oh, that was beautiful last night. I feel so at home here. I just love it. That was beautiful. I told him, I said, I love, I mean, I travel and I love great altar times where everybody's getting blown up and all that stuff, but nothing so blesses me like us moving right into intercession. And that's where most of us, you know, most of us just enjoy, well, wasn't that awesome? But you guys just took the word and we went right into intercession. It was amazing. Awesome. Um, I'm just so blessed by the worship, man. Let's just give the worship team a hand. We love you guys. Thank you. I love the worship here, man. I feel so at home. I love it, man. You just can't fake it. You can't fake it. You don't, it's who they are and this is who they are. So you don't have to become something. It's what you do. Um, I, 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 I want to, I really feel like this is an important weekend and I love the fact of teachers to pray. And again, that was the one thing the disciples asked Jesus to teach them in, in Luke 11. Isn't that amazing? It was his prayer life that left the greatest impact on those disciples. I, I counted it up one time. There's 175 verses in the gospels of either Jesus teaching on prayer or praying himself. Ian Bounds said it was worth the trip from heaven to earth to teach men how to pray. It was worth the trip. If he wasn't, if it wasn't even about him dying, the very fact that he came to teach us to pray, Jesus brought the revelation of God as Abba, as Father. That's why he taught us our Father, which makes it personal. It's not just talking some religiosity that we're connecting to a person. I love the phrase where it says in the Lord's Prayer, in heaven. Everybody say, in heaven. Amen. See, that's the, and that's where I want to go this morning is the fact of the reality of where pray, throne room is the, the prayer room in heaven. Throne is a prayer room ministry, and you've got to learn how to ascend. And then it says, hallowed be your name. I would think Revelation chapter 4 is a chapter you need to meditate on a lot. To put, that's something that I spent the majority of 1999 and 2000 just reading and meditating in was Revelation chapter 4 and 5, the Holy One on the throne in Revelation 4, and the Lamb who takes the scroll in Revelation 5. And what it does is it orients you to the throne. This isn't Disney World, okay, what, what you're reading in Revelation 4. When John's describing God as one who looks like a jasper and a sardius stone, He's using, he, what he's looking at, he's never seen before. Okay, so you got to understand that. He's doing his best to describe to the common reader what he's seeing. But even those words pale in comparison to what he's seeing. Have you ever been somewhere your friend hasn't been and you're trying to use something common you guys know to connect them to what you've seen? Saying it's like da 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 that's why John goes, he was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. He's not jasper and sardius, but he's shiny like the ancient jasper, and he's burning like the ancient sardius. It's fire and light engulfing itself with an emerald rainbow surrounding him. Hey! And Psalm 104 says that God wraps himself with light as with a garment. 
So it's not like God is the ball of light. No, God clothes himself with So you want to get used to us learning how to ascend. I saw a door standing open in heaven. That's not, and it's going to feel weird for a little while, but get that into your language when you pray. I can just quote Revelation 4 and 5 to you, not because I tried to memorize it. It's because that's what so set my orientation of prayer. Prayer is a throne room ministry. So you need to read it till you see it. Pray it till you see it. And when you see it, then you start praying. Prayer is not blind throwing coins into a little wishing well. It's seeing someone and connecting to revelation. We're those who see in the spirit and we pray in faith out of that place. But it's not wishing, it's knowing. All right, all right, good. I want you to hear what I'm saying. <laughs> I hit this crew. I hit you guys last year. I said, nobody's pulling on the word. This year, man, y'all pulling the paint off the wall. <laughs> pulling the paint off the wall. I love it. That won't ever be said about y'all again. All right. <laughs> All right, good. I want to talk to you about the theology of intercession this morning. Theology of intercession. I want you to turn to Isaiah 59, verse 16. And I'm, we're going to go in our Bible today. I really, I, you know, we want impartation and God's going to release impartation, but I really want to root us and ground us in the word. It really matters. And there's going to be impartation in it. But, but uh, worship and prayer. And when we look at the throne room of God, there's the worship. In Revelation 5, when Jesus takes the scroll... They fall down before the th throne, and in one hand they have harps, and in the other hand they have golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, okay? Which means this music and prayers are what accompany the realities in heaven. Music and prayers, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Do you know all of your groanings, all of your whispers, all of your cries, are accumulating in a real bowl in heaven? Think about that. A real bowl. Do you know God is a pack rat with two things? <laughs> Nothing grieves me like watching hoarders. And then <laughs> seen a little bit of it. I'm like, man, I can handle some, you know, murder movies, but man, or, or like, you know, violent movies, but I watch hoarders. I get grieved in the spirit. <laughs> anyway, if some of y'all break that off of you in the name of Jesus, stop it. Um, Jesus, God is a pack rat when it comes to two things, prayers and tears. Prayers and tears. He stores every prayer, and Psalm 56 says he stores all your tears in his bottle. So God's got bottles, God's got bowls, and actually there's another one, God's got a book. Bottles, bowls, and books. Somebody preach that message. <laughs> Malachi 3 says that those who feared the Lord spoke with one another and the Lord listened. How about the Lord listening in on your Bible study about him? And a book of remembrance was written for them. God wrote in his book about your life. Books, bowls, and bottles. I've never thought of that. Think about that. 
which validates the, the, the glory of intercession and a life lived before God. Nothing is lost before God. All the tears you forgot are not lost. All the groans, all the prayers, all the whispers that you said driving down the road and you whispered it, it lives forever. That's the revelation of intercession is that my prayers live forever in the throne room of God and he releases his power. Okay, we're not just throwing coins into a wishing well. It's how God governs the world is through intercession. So I, I'm, I'm mostly feeling a burden in this hour. I hear a lot. I, I, I love the worship and worship takes us and teaches us how to ascend. But I think God also wants to strengthen the bowls. God wants to strengthen bowls in the prayer movement so that we just don't turn our prayer meetings into what I call holy hot tubs. I don't, want, I, I don't want just holy hot tubs where I'm enjoying the glow, enjoying the river. I want to actually understand that this is government. It's government. We're learning how to govern with God and reign with Him. Intercessory songs. And that's what I love about you guys. You carry an intercessory spirit. You've got a push on you. There's postures. There's this, but then there's this. All right. If I were to sum up the cry, we know from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, you know, that they have the fall in Genesis 3, and the Lord walks into the garden, and he says, okay, devil, you won round one, but I want you to look at this little girl, Eve. I want you to know there's going to come a seed through this girl, and, she's going, and he will crush your head. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. So we know from the very beginning there's going to come one to reverse the curse. It's going to restore everything that God called good in the beginning. And the storyline of the Old Testament is the bringing forth of that seed. It's the bringing forth of that one that will reverse the curse, make intercession, and break the power of the evil one. And that's what the whole story of Israel is all about, is God chose a man, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that's going to carry the seed in his loins, in his very core, in his loins, and so through Abraham's journey and the birth of the nation of Israel, they were carrying the promise. They were, you know, the prophetic mother carrying the promise to the finish line. That's why we labor for the salvation of Israel is because of their labor. It's Revelation 12, a woman, you know, I don't want to go in too deep. I don't want to lose you in this. But John seeing a woman clothed, and you see, and, and it's what it's symbolizing and speaking of is the faithful remnant of Israel. It speaks to Joseph's dreams that he had about Jacob and his mother Rachel. And it's about the faithful woman, and it says that the dragon was sitting there in Revelation 12, ready to devour. It says the woman was pregnant with a child. The woman was pregnant with a child, and the dragon was sitting there ready to get the child as soon as it was born. Israel is the woman, and she carried the male child, Jesus, through the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through Judah, through David, through the prophets. And the dragon was seeking to destroy the seed, seeking to steal the seed. And at specific moments in the storyline, God raised up intercessors who would come forth at strategic points to intercede for the intercessor that was coming. So God will raise up intercessors for the intercessor. <laughs> 
I think one of the greatest pictures is Esther in uh, Persia where you have the Antichrist spirit, the dragon manifesting through Haman who is seeking to release the death decree on all the Jews in Persia. But we know for such a time as this, Esther was in the kingdom and she took that divine moment of intercession and she stood before the king. And she appealed to him to reverse the curse and to break the power of the death decree. And we know what happened. God spared the nation which brought forth the story. The cry of the Old Testament is God's looking for an intercessor. God's looking for a righteous man, a righteous woman that can stand in the gap. When I talk about intercession, the act of intercession is standing between two opposing parties. Moms, y'all know what this is about when kids are fighting. All right, somebody's got to get in the middle. All right, stop this. Everybody calm down. And you intercede is what you're doing for the purpose of reconciliation. For the purpose of bringing two that are fighting together, that's the very, an intercessor is one who lives in the gap. One who lives in the tension. You with me? Living in the gap is living in the tension, and the great gap is between God and man. The great gap between God and man, and the cry of the Old Testament is God's always looking for an intercessor to stand in the gap. Look with me in Isaiah 59, verse 16, okay? Uh, go ahead and go to uh, verse 15. Verse 14, <laughs> here we go. Justice is turned back, righteousness stands afar off. Truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Look at this. Then the Lord saw it and it displeased him. He saw that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man. He wondered that there was no intercessor. God's wondering justice, and he's talking about societal injustice, the breakdown of unrighteousness and injustice, and truth is gone, and equity is gone, and righteousness is gone. And the ones who stand for righteousness are the enemy of the state, and God's displeased and burdened over this, and it says that God saw it, he wondered that there was no man. That's interesting. It gives you insight into an intercessor has to be a man. He saw that there was no man, and he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, what did God do when God could not find a man? God became a man. When God could not find a man, God became a man. It says that he wondered that there was no intercessor, therefore his own arm. Everybody say his own arm. I love this. Brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. So when God could not find a man, God became a man. And we know that Jesus is the outstretched arm of the Father. Jesus is the arm of the Lord. He's the outstretched arm of Abba to humanity. But it doesn't stop there. He's humanity's reach to Abba. In Christ, two worlds converge. In Christ, God and man meet. Truth and righteousness, truth and mercy kiss together. He's our reach to Abba and he's Abba's reach to us. He's Jacob's ladder. 
I want you to understand that before Jesus made intercession, Jesus was intercession. Jesus is intercession. Two worlds in one man. You know, it says uh, there's one Savior between, I think it's in 1 Timothy, between God and man. The, man. the man, Christ Jesus. One mediator. So before we get into the act of intercession, we need to behold the mystery of the intercessor. I was just talking to Gio in the back here, and I would encourage everybody, there's a book out called Behold, uh, Discipleship Begins with Beholding. Discipleship Begins with Beholding by a friend of mine named Samuel Whitfield, and he, he's using the 2 Corinthians 3.18, Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the same image. I want to call this community into beholding Jesus through the word. And specifically, beholding Jesus, the intercessor. Can you put John, you're not even putting up verses up here. Look at John 1, 14. We'll go to John 1, then we'll have fun. Are y'all good? Thank you, Jesus. So we're going to meditate on Jesus, the intercessor. Get the phone. I love it. She goes, I just got to get out of here. I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> Look at John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the, the Word was God. Hallelujah. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. Skip down to verse 14. I would say John 1.14 is one of the most important verses in the Bible. And it's not just Christmas where you can think about this. This is the very basis of our Christian faith is that the eternal word of God, look at this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The, see, this is something about intercession. And this gives us insight into why is God wondering that there's no man? Do you understand that God had to become a man to make intercession for humanity? Think about that phrase. God had to become a man. God could not stay in his nice eternal bliss it required for God to come out the second person of the Trinity to take on human flesh so that he could make intercession between God and man and there's something about intercession that requires you to get into the dirty it required God to get into our mess to redeem us from our mess and to lift us into his glory He had to be a man because he had to be a man because God, and I know we're going deep, I'm doing theology today. God in his absolute being, in his glory, he did not have an experiential sense of our misery. He didn't get it because he's God. He's perfection, holy glory. And there's something of the mystery of the incarnation where God came and he's fully God and he never divested himself of being fully God, but he became fully man. 
which means he grew and he was born into the world he created. He understands limitations, understands pressure, understands, as we'll find out later, temptations, the arrows, the the brokenness of living in a fallen world. And he took that in upon himself. So there's a nature of intercession that bears the brunt of connection. Some of you have intercessory assignments of people at work and you're mostly agitated around them, but you're carrying a burden. There's an agitation in your spirit and you're like, man, I, I like just staying in my quiet time, just feeding on the word. And God says, no, I want you loving this person. I want you fighting for them through their, their pill addiction or through their alcohol addiction or through all their issues in their lives, the Lord says, I want you to get yourself into the middle of it because you used to be there. See, intercessors are ones who get into it. God doesn't stay in his glass cathedral. He gets into our dirty, and I love him for that. Oh, I love him for that. So his own arm, we could just meditate on the incarnation forever. He is the intercessor before he makes intercession. Ephesians 1, 9, and 10 says that he, in the fullness of time, he brought together everything in heaven and everything on earth together in him. Timothy says the fullness of the Godhead goes, God was manifested in the flesh. God manifested in the flesh. All right, good. I just want you to feel that. Look with me in Isaiah 53, verse 12. I want, a lot of times I'll just scream the verses at you. I want you to see them with your eyes this morning. The very last verse, so Jesus came, and then we're going to get to this in a second. This is why it's so important. So Jesus comes, and he is intercession, but then I love this. This is why teach us to pray is so important. Jesus came. Very first time we saw him at 12 years old, he was in his father's house. And he was about his father's business. He was in the temple at 12 years old, connected to his purpose. And for those three years, Jesus embodied a life of prayer. He embodied a life of dependence on the father. He prayed, it says in Mark 1, a long time before daylight. Jesus would be in revival till midnight wake up at three, labor in intercession for tomorrow's assignment. And Jesus, I believe one of the things that Jesus, uh, it says in Philippians 2, he emptied himself of his divine privileges. I believe in the same way you and I, like y'all guys did a fast leading up to this. Why? Why'd you do a fast? Prepare. Prepare what? Prepare your spirits. Prepare the atmosphere. You want to get the veil thin in here. And you understand that God takes your weak labors of not eating something and saying prayers as God's preparation to prepare the atmosphere. That's a sign of humility. God, I'm going to give you my part, but I need you to do what I can't do. I believe Jesus won breakthroughs in the same way. I believe that's why Jesus would labor in intercession. He would pray long time before daylight. It says in Luke 5, he would often withdraw into the wilderness and pray. He lived in prayer. He prayed in joy. He prayed in suffering. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He he talked about prayer in Sermon on the Mount, and he talked about prayer in the Olivet Discourse. 
Jesus talked about prayer and he embodied it. He is the eternal intercessor. He lived a life. But then he comes up and then he climbs up on that cross. We know what he did. He won. Calvary was won in the place of prayer. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' will. I want to tell you something about prayer. Prayer is where your will comes over. Prayer is where your will is surrendered to his will. You got to wrestle it out. You got to sweat it out, bleed it out. Two steps forward, three steps out at back, and you just keep working it. And then Jesus climbed up on that cross, and the greatest act of intercession ever done. Somebody tell me what the last verse of Isaiah 53 says. He made intercession for the transgressors. So the greatest prayer meeting ever was when Jesus was hanging on a cross, not opening his mouth, but was led as a lamb to the slaughter. He did not defend himself. He did not take his own rights and authorities to call down angels to get him off of that cross. But what he did is he surrendered to the will of God. Intercession is a life surrendered to the will of God. And the greatest act of intercession was when his torn flesh was ripped in two. The perfect sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God who bore the punishment for our sin. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. By his stripes we're healed. The greatest prayer meeting ever suspended between heaven and earth. God and man. Two worlds collided. Two worlds, God and man, heaven and earth. Humanity and divinity collided in the torn flesh of Jesus. And a new way was made into the holiest of all. A new way was made. Not the blood of bulls and goats into an earthly tabernacle, but the blood of the Lamb of God who gave us access into the heavenly tabernacle, whose blood speaks much more than that of Abel. But his sacrifice now gives us access into the throne of God. No more yearly sacrifices. No more daily sacrifice. One sacrifice for sins once and for all. Something I'm doing right here is I'm trying to connect you that intercession is not some side thing. It's gospel. It's gospel. It's core gospel. I don't believe... You know, I believe there are people who have cultivated tenderness to the call, but I don't see the calling of an intercessor in the Bible. I believe every born-again believer is born into the ministry of intercession. There are ones who have cultivated it and who have obeyed it in a way and that develop it, but I believe every one of you have been called into the ministry of intercession. It's the, it's the, family, it's the family business. It's the family business. It's what you're born into. Some of y'all were born into doctors' families or teachers' families or whatever your family. You're born into an intercessor's family. Well, he died on the cross. Hallelujah. He was raised the third day. And then the Bible says that after 40 days, he was caught up in a cloud in Acts 1. And he ascended into heaven itself. (laughs) 
He ascended into heaven itself. He walked right up into the throne room of God where he offered his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. One sacrifice for sins once and for all. He offered his blood on the mercy seat as an eternal sacrifice. And then the father looked at the son and he says, good job, son. You've worked and you've labored and you've poured out your soul unto death. And then the greatest words that the father said to him, he says, now sit down at my right hand. Sit down at my right hand. You guys, you got to get Psalm 110 verse 1. It's, it's, the, it's the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. It's the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. He says, the Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. And then he says this phrase in Psalm 110, we're not going to go there, but I just want to wreck you with it. It says, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is in full-time ministry right now. Right now, Jesus is in full-time ministry. He's not a lazy boy. He's not hanging out. He's in intercession. I need you to understand that I have three agendas for this morning. Number one is seeing Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Seeing him there. The absolute critical what put fire in the early church was there is a man resurrected and ascended at the right hand of the Father. He's been installed at King at the right hand of the Father. That's what gave boldness and courage and might and fearlessness on the early church is he's raised to the highest place. In Peter's first message in Acts 2, he says that Jesus has been raised to the right hand of the Father where he's received the Holy Spirit and that's what he's poured out on the day of Pentecost. First thing Jesus got when he got to the throne was Holy Ghost. And Jesus poured out Holy Ghost. You get Holy Ghost when you get to the throne. I'm going I'm to spit some verses to you. If you want to take notes, take notes. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. It says that we would know the exceeding greatness of his power, which he worked in Christ. I love this. When he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand. Here's one of my favorite phrases. Far above. Everybody say far above. Say far above. Every principality, every power, every might, every dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. We need a far above to get back on the church. Far above every power and principality. Philippians 2, it says that he humbled himself and God has highly exalted. Highly exalted. Colossians 3, and you need to put a little diamond next to this one. It says if you've been raised with Christ, he says this, seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things above where Christ is. Setting at the right hand of God. It is an apostolic command to fill your mind with the throne room. I hear the phrase, brother, you don't want to be so heavenly minded, you'll be no earthly good. That's the most demonic phrase I've ever heard. 
It's the most demonic phrase I've ever heard. If you say it, repent for it. Because you'll be no earthly good to anybody until you get heavenly minded. Jesus is the most relatable man, and he's the man from heaven. He's the most compassionate, connected, sympathizing human ever. And he's fully God. And he's the man from above. Now, I'm going to preach on the cross forever, but I remember an old quote by John G. Lake that wrecked me as it relates to the throne room. My wife put this quote on my prayer room way back in the day, like in 06. And it's this. He goes, we've been walking around with our noses in the sand, looking at the ground. He goes, I want to see Jesus. He says, well, don't look to the cross because you won't find him there. A lot of us have a theology of resurrection, but in many of our practical realities, he's still on the cross. You need to see Jesus. He says, I want to see Jesus. He goes, lift up your eyes to the throne and let the throne life and the throne love and the throne power possess your soul till you become a new man in Christ Jesus and your song become the song of victory and the march, the march of the conqueror. I want everybody to look up at the ceiling. This is my assignment and my word to you for 2022. It's time to start looking up. Looking up. You know, there's, a, there's several times in the Gospels where Jesus lifted his eyes. There's something powerful about lifting eyes. Jesus, lifted, in John 16, 32, he says, In the world you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Then what'd he do? Father, the hour's come. Glorify your son. And Jesus entered into 26 verses of the high priestly prayer. Before he raised Lazarus, Father, I thank you that you hear me. You always hear me. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. He went from eyes up to Lazarus, come forth. Before he fed the 5,000, he lifted his eyes. Father, thank you. And then boom. There's something about pulling heaven down into earth. And you've got to learn how to ascend. We've been lost in the second heavens over the last two years. We've been in that invisible realm of demonic chatter. And I feel like it's really bogged down the church. And we need to get throne room perspective back on us. Do you see Jesus at the right hand? Do you see him yet? There's only one man in heaven. There's only one man in heaven. There's only one body in heaven. Hallelujah. Which means we've made it. Because it doesn't just stop with Jesus' ascension. Ephesians says that he's raised us up together with him and seated us together with him in the heavenly places. You've been raised. You've been liberated from the bondage of sin. You've been raised. Colossians 3 says you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In Christ with God. So you're there. What do you mean? You're there. You're, you are a citizen of heaven. Your spirit's been raised from the dead and highly exalted in Christ. You live in two places at once. Ha, 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 ha.
It's a game changer. It's a game changer. I'm telling you, in revelation of this, it liberates you. He's the firstborn among many brethren. And I love Hebrews too. It says that he's not ashamed to call us brothers. He's not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. I like Hebrews 1.3. It says that he purged our sin by himself. By himself he purged our sin. I like that. He goes, I got this. By himself. And then he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty. Hebrews 2 says that he came and partook. It says to the degree that uh, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, so that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He does not take on the, uh, the, uh, the form of angels, but he takes on the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. And then he says this phrase in Hebrews 3.1. This is a phrase you need to get about your identity. It says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. You have a heavenly calling. Everybody wants to know my calling. You're in it. No, I'm serious. You're in it. The, it, the question is, is that enough for you? The question is, is that enough for you? Or are you still frustrated because that door didn't get open for you? When you connect to your priestly calling at the right hand of the Father, whatever you do in time and space is an overflow of the greatest calling that's been landed. I'm, a, I'm an intercessor. I'm an intercessor. I'm an intercessor. I'm an intercessor who's raising kids at home. I'm an intercessor who works at the bank. I'm an intercessor who works at the factory. I'm an intercessor who preaches. I'm an intercessor that pastors. But I'm an intercessor. It doesn't matter how small the call is in earth or how large it is. It all pales in comparison to the calling you're already in. You have audience with God. You have audience with God. I don't know if you believe me. Oh, I love Hebrews 4.14. It says this, he passed through the heavens. I always picture Superman just passing through the heavens. He left the first heaven, which is the realm we see all around. He went up right through the second heavens. It says in Colossians, he disarmed every principality and power. He made a public spectacle through the cross which means he stripped them bare and paraded them. Disarmed, defanged every principality, power, ruler, dominion. But he didn't stop in the second heavens. He went right up through the second heavens. He went right up into the third heavens and he walked right up into the new Jerusalem. And he is now sitting far above it all, ruling and reigning, and he's raised us up together with him. Are you there yet? Are you there yet? 
You're like, what are you doing? I'm hitting you with a thousand grenades to break unbelief off of you. I love Hebrews 8 verse 1. He says, this is the main point. Everybody say, this is the main point. He waited till chapter 8 to tell us the main point. He goes, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. All right. First thing that I want you to say is see him. See him. What do you mean see him? It's when the spirit of revelation is there and you have a confidence he's there. It's this confidence, I see you there. This uh, awareness that God is far above. Jesus is far above. And he's raised you up with him. You've got to sit in this. You've got to behold this. Meditate on this. Take the verses I just gave you and walk in this room for a two-hour prayer meeting. That's what you do. And you do that for months and years. And all of a sudden, you're there. The second thing is receiving his intercession for you. Look with me, and this is a verse I need you to look at. Hebrews 7.25. Hebrews 7.25. Thank you, Jesus. This is such a washing revelation. You there? Uh, all right. Therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save, I love this, to the uttermost. Those who come to God through him. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. I want you to see the connection between salvation and intercession. Salvation and intercession. The kingdom of God breaking in and intercession. But I want you to, but, but before we're going to join him in a persistent way for the sake of the world, you need to receive his intercession for you. John 13, when Jesus is washing their feet, Peter goes, no. He goes, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. Christianity is about you learning how to first receive so you can join him. Receiving his intercession for you. Do you know why I have full confidence that what he's begun, he's going to complete? It's because he's not going anywhere. Do you know why I have confidence that I'm not only justified, I'm being sanctified and I will be glorified? Because he ain't going anywhere. Receiving his intercession. So I've asked myself this, Gio. I've said, what does Jesus' intercession in the throne room look like? What's throne room Jesus' intercession look like? Is he Lou Engle? Is he pacing? He paces through us. He groans through us. Is he rocking? Is he waving flags, blowing shofars? What's Jesus doing? What's intercession? If he's making intercession... Not just past tense, it's present tense. It's an eternal sense of ongoing intercession, of in the gap for the purpose of salvation, reconciliation, restoration, 
deliverance, healing about the merging of two worlds. It was secured at the cross and his intercession is now making it reality that will culminate with his return. How is he doing it? As I'm meditating on this for 20 years, I've come up with three ways Jesus is making intercession. Now we're his body. He groans through you. He weeps through you. He does rock through you. He does pace. I'm a pacer. I'm a pacer. That's how he does it with you. He takes all of our individual ways, fills us with the Spirit, and prays through us through the prism of our personalities and our ways. And I love him for that. We're not all a bunch of robots sitting in a room. Everybody's just rocking. That's why you come in here if somebody's just walking in here at the door going, my goodness, somebody's rocking, others dancing, others flag waving. We got a shofar over here. We got this. All of it. And the Lord just loves it. Three things I think God's, and, and what intercession looks like. Number one, the very fact he's there makes intercession. Look at Hebrews 9.24. And I'm reading a lot of Hebrews this morning. Hebrews is a great, this is what I want to say to you. The book of Hebrews was written to Jews who were under intense persecution and who were wanting to go back to Judaism. So the writer of Hebrews was writing them to anchor them in Christ, in the finished work of the cross and his ministry of intercession for them. Which means this, the book of Hebrews is for a generation under the temptation of going back or falling away. This is what anchors the soul when you want to quit. This is what anchors the soul when you want to give up and retreat and go, it's too hard. This is what bolsters your soul in the knowledge of God. Hebrews 9.24, it says that he has appeared in the presence of God for us. I don't know exactly if it says that. I just got to look at it. Hebrews 9.24, he says this. He says, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the truth, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now, now, now look at me. We got one of our kinfolk up there. We got kinfolk up there. We got a brother up there. And him in the presence of the Father makes intercession for you. When God looks at him, he sees you. He looks at you through the lens of Christ. He engages with you through the lens of Christ. He loves you through the lens of Christ. The power of one of ours who fully understands every temptation that is common to all of us. Do you understand? Jesus walked through every arrow that is common to the human experience. Pull up your story and Jesus goes, I get it. I believe the fact that there's only one woman in history that's had the Holy Spirit brood over her womb and she conceive of a child. That's only happened once in history. And ever will happen once in history. How about the arrow of you don't know who your dad is? How about you don't know where your dad is? You know in John 8 when they were saying, we know our father. 
They're insinuating you don't. You're illegitimate. And nobody's talking about it. That's why Joseph was going to put Mary away because of the intensity of that moment. Jesus understands those arrows. He understands rejection. He understands sorrows. He understands mistreatment. He understands everything that is common. He's walked through it. And that's what gives him authority in the throne room of God is he understands. He did not sin not once, but he understands. It's amazing. That's what gives us confidence. That's why in Hebrews 4, he says, Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly to the throne. Don't live in shame. Don't hide out. Don't stay at a distance. Come to the throne. How do you come to the throne? How do you come to the throne? You come with confidence. I belong here. It's a throne of grace for mercy and help in time of need. So number one is the very fact he's there makes intercession. Number two, his blood makes intercession. Hebrews 12, 24 says that the blood of sprinkling, which speaks a better word than that of Abel. Genesis 4, Cain kills Abel. The Lord walks in there and says, hey, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? He says, stop it. Your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. What was Abel's blood crying out? Justice. 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 Make this right. Jesus' blood is crying out mercy on your behalf. It is crying out justice, but it's crying out mercy on your behalf. Blood has voice. The blood speaks on your behalf. The blood speaks. And number three, Jesus is speaking words. Think about that. He's speaking words. The power of words that release the kingdom of heaven into the earth. Weak words, simple words, powerful words. I believe Jesus is praying John 17 in the throne room. I believe he's praying that they would be one father as you're in me and I'm in you, that they would be one in us, that the world would believe. I believe he's praying what I talked on last night, Psalm 2, ask of me, I'll give nations. I believe he's asking for nations. The power of his words to carry you through your darkest nights. I love this. And you, Luke twenty two thirty one. Come on, y'all stick with me. I know I'm giving you a lot, but I got to go. Luke twenty two thirty one. This is amazing. Everybody listen to me. Sam, you'll get this. This is a good one. Luke twenty two thirty one. He says this. Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. So the, the last night, the night of the betrayal, Jesus comes to Peter and goes, hey, man. Satan came to me and he asked me if he could take his best shot at you. Sift you. I can see Peter says, you told him no, didn't you? Well, why are you telling me this? I thought, he goes, you told him no. He goes, no. I told him to take his best shot on one condition. I get to pray for him. I get to pray for him. He says, but I've prayed for you. 
I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And after you've returned, strengthen your brethren. Everybody look around this room. Come on, look around. Some of y'all know each other's stories. Others don't. Do you know what I, you know, if I knew everybody's full story laid out to me, I'm talking about the stuff nobody knows. You know what I'd be thinking? What are you doing in here? How in the world are you here? How are you not dead? How are you sitting here with a tender heart still crying tears? You're not dead? You're not OD'd? You're not woke up, hung, hung over on a floor this morning? You're here loving Jesus through the stuff you've been through? Why? How are you here? How are we here? It's because there's a man at the right hand of the Father who has prayed you through your worst nights. He's carried you through your worst storms. He's kept you. He's sustained you. He's upheld you. He's delivered you. He's protected you. You wanted to kill yourself on Saturday. You wake up on Sunday go, no, I got too much to live for. What happened? There's a man praying for you. I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And when you've returned, strengthen your brethren. I'm going to use my, the greatest, darkest nights he prayed you through. is actually about the testimony of God coming through your life so you can go strengthen others by the power of God carrying you through. He uses intercession to carry you and to pray you through those nights. Friends, receive it. Receive it. Believe it. The power of his intercession to keep you. You got to receive it. You got to receive it. You got to believe it. You got to let him do it for you so he can do it through you. So the second thing is receiving is intercession. And you're constantly receiving, and it's not just an altar call one time, you're clinging to his prayers for you. You're clinging to his intercession for you. You cling to it. You have a personal intercessor. <laughs> That's a good intercessor. It's a good intercessor. So, so. Number three. <laughs> Joining him in his intercession for others. You know why he wants to so root you and ground you in his intercession for you? Because he wants to deliver you from yourself so you can fully get joined into his heart. And that he can enter in through his intercession through you. He did it for you so he can do it through you. Second Corinthians 8 and 9 says that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. So that we through his poverty might become rich. And most of us stop there. So that we would become poor. So that others would become rich. 
The power of his intercession frees you from you. It frees you from, from a self myoptic, narcissistic, humanistic, it's all about me and Jesus. And it actually liberates you from self-worship. And the soul of Jesus in your soul become one. As you begin to labor, you begin to labor for others. And he prays his prayers through you for others. He speaks words through you. He cries through you. He groans through you. Ha! It's his soul coming through the church. That's why Romans 8, 26 is very important. It says that uh, it says he helps us in our weaknesses for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us or with us with groanings which are too deep to be uttered. You have the Holy Spirit. Everybody put your hand on your belly. Friends, this is your connection to the soul of Jesus. And the ministry of intercession is the indwelling spirit. You have the indwelling spirit who makes intercession. You have an intercessor in you, an intercessor above you, intercessors all around you. And we get brought into the soul of Jesus Christ for the world all around us. God has set watchmen on the walls of Tampa Bay. In this room, I saw it in the spirit last night. The, the watchmen on the wall, they would, be, they would be set on towers and they would overlook regions to see when invading armies were coming in, to see when there were attacks, and they would blow trumpets to alarm people to what's coming. I believe that God, out, right outside of Tampa Bay, that's why God's moved you to Brandon, is to serve as an intercessory wall around Tampa Bay. He wants to build a wall around this city of intercession as we begin to go into the power of showing up. The thing that I love about Jesus, he showed up to the throne. Number two, his blood. He didn't quit. He persevered all the way to death. And number three, he brought words. I'm giving a call to this house to come to the prayer meeting, to not quit, and to bring words. To bring words, to bring your presence, and to join the soul of Jesus as he begins to pray his will through you, through the Holy Spirit, with the word of God, with the tears, with the travail, with the, the cries for the breakthrough of God in this region and for the sake of others. He's doing it for regions and he's doing it for your homes. He's setting, I need you to understand though the power of intercession. Intercession, transcend, words that transcend time and distance. I need you to understand something about prayer. It's not, this is why many people won't come to a prayer meeting. It don't make sense. You need to understand the eternal ministry. Our words in unity is releasing spiritual power to touch real people in real time. That's how God orchestrates his kingdom. Matthew 8, the Roman centurion, come to my, he goes, my servant's at home sick. Jesus says, I'll come and pray for him. He goes, oh no. You ain't got to come to my house. I'm a Roman official. Government flows through words. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Which means this. All you got to do is say it and watch the power that's released. That's why I get up and come to a prayer meeting. That's why I show up in a room 
And, and this is the thing. Intercessory is the governmental center of the universe. This is the power base. It's majestic and glory and awesome, but there's also a mystery to it because many times it doesn't feel awesome. Many times it may not even feel that inspired. It's inspired because you got trust and faith, but there's a lot of boring times, hidden times, unseen times, grinding times where it's not that awesome and you coming into a profound revelation that it's not just awesome when you feel a lot. It's not just awesome when you feel a lot. It doesn't change anything, but it changes everything. I'll never forget this message by Mike Bickle. He says uh, where the Lord really marked him with his revelation because God uses hiddenness, weakness, and smallness to release his power. It was a cold December morning in Kansas City in the mid-90s, and Mike gets to the 6 a.m. prayer meeting. He sees two cars out there. It's a 1,500-seat auditorium. He sees two cars out there, and he's coming into the prayer meeting. It's cold. And right when he gets to the door, he hears a deafening sound. He says it sounded like Handel's Messiah at the crescendo, this explosion of this orchestra. And he's thinking the guys in there have the amp going, and they're just grinding out. They're about to blow up the amp. So he comes into the church a little frustrated, saying, what are these guys doing? It's 6 in the morning. Let's just get the day started. He walks in there, and he sees two guys at the front of the building with an unplugged guitar, and they're just singing there, and they're just singing a simple song that, that Mike could barely hear. So for the next hour and a half, he's asking, God, God, what was that? What was that? What was that? He goes, he gets to the end of the prayer meeting, and, he, and the Lord says, you just heard what it sounds like in heaven. Every time two of you gather in my name. There are many times I didn't feel a lot, but yet there is a profound revelation of what happens. Daniel 10 verse 12, on the 21st day of a, of a fast of Daniel, an angel shows up and he says, I've come because of your words. Daniel was an 80-year-old man fasting and praying. I doubt Daniel felt a lot. Cornelius in Acts 10, when the angel came down, he says, your prayers have come up as a memorial to God. And a door is opening into the Gentile world. Intercession is majestic. It's glory. There's nothing more intimate than Jesus sharing his soul with you. There's nothing more intimate than Jesus crying through you. Crying his tears through your tears. There's nothing more powerful and intimate than Jesus groaning through you and crying out through you. Where you feel so joined with the soul of Jesus Christ. And you know you're praying for that son or that daughter or you're praying for that loved one, or you're praying for that friend at work, or you're praying for that mother or that father that's been away from God, and you're with the soul of Jesus, unified, and you know he's hearing your prayers and moving. Oh, I believe he's calling us in this hour. There are tears, there are tongues, and there is travail coming to the church. 
I'm calling in the three T's as a preacher, but it's tears, tongues, and travail. When we pray in tongues, what you're doing is it's the Holy Spirit praying into the mind and the will of Jesus. You're praying into the mind of God. You're praying into the will of God. What does God feel? What is Jesus thinking? It brings you into unity with Jesus. That's why we pray in the Spirit. I'm coming into unity with Jesus. And when you come into unity with Jesus, that's where the power's at. He wants to train us in this, in the Bible, in learning how to ascend. Where we touch that corporate burden, where we just cultivate it. Oh, intercessory choruses. We need songs that sing over the region. It's words, it's groans, it's tears, it's travail, but it's songs. There are intercessory songs. Isaiah 42 says global worship and singing, and then it says that the Lord will go forth like a mighty man. He will stir up his zeal like a man of war. And he will release justice. I believe that God wants to visit this region with a great revival. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit where the high schools and the junior highs and the Christian schools get impacted by the spirit of conviction. And God releases his glory in a region. And people ask, how'd this happen? And if he really loves you, nobody will know about you. Think about this. We're all here because of a hidden man's prayer life. Outside of three and a half years, Jesus has lived in hiddenness. Jesus has lived in hiddenness. Intercession is a call to hiddenness. Yes. God, we ask you to release your will into this region. God, we ask you right now that you would release the spirit of intercession upon us. It says, who in the days of his flesh with vehement cries and loud tears, he cried out and he was heard because of his godly fear. Let's go ahead and stand. Let's pray for you. Yeah. Hallelujah. 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 Let's just go ahead and just start praying in the Spirit. Put your eyes on the throne of God. Bring us into the mind of God. Bring us into the mind of God. Bring us into the will of God. God, I thank you, Lord. You're teaching us how to rule with you. You're teaching us how to rule with you. You're teaching us how to rule with you. You're teaching us how to rule with you, you, Jesus. Rule in the midst of your enemies. 
Rule in the midst of your enemies. Rule in the midst of your enemies. God, I pray that you would begin to release your presence upon abide. God, I pray for a spirit of intercession to come upon abide. I pray, God, that you would begin to gather the intercessors, that you would gather the intercessors, Jesus, to this house, that you would connect, that you would awaken watchmen in this region, that you would heal broken intercessors in this region, that you would heal those who have deferred hope, and that you would heal hearts. God, I pray for a, a mixture between the old and the young. An old and a young. Moms and dads, I thank you for the spirit of Elijah in the prayer room. Hey! Hallelujah. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you, God. You're awesome. It's a beautiful Mark your intercessors, Jesus. Mark your intercessors, God. Mark your intercessors. I thank you, Lord. There will be tears, there will be tongues, but I thank you for joy in your house, too. There's going to be joy in the house. Joy in the house. Joy of confidence. The joy of belonging. The joy of the release of the presence. Wow. Ezekiel 36, I'm going to take out of you a heart of stone. I'm going to put in you a heart of flesh. You're going to feel what God feels. You're going to see how God sees. His eyes, his heart, his hands. Thank you, Jesus.
If you'd like to receive prayer, I want to invite you up here. We'll pray for you. Yeah, just come right up. Hey! Uh, Lord, here we are. I ask you, Lord, to release the spirit of intercession. We'll show up, God. I thank you. It's your power. Fire. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Covington or somebody, can we get up there? Fire. 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 Mark your people with intercession, Jesus. Mark your people. I thank you, God. Release prayers. Jesus. Give him your heart, Jesus. Oh! 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 Pour out your spirit. Mark us with the spirit of prayer. your eyes on the throne. Everybody go to the throne. in the throne room is where the heart of God is deposited wow. it's in the throne room where whispers become roars it's in the throne room where proximity releases power thank you God hallelujah thank you God
God hears your prayers.
only response to seeing you every last drop will give you every last drop the bad days this is what you're worthy of God this is what you're worthy of oh come on this is what you can we lift that up this is what you worthy of this is what you Let's just pour our oil right now. Jesus this morning we just anoint you we just anoint you God like Mary did we anoint you with our lives we anoint you with our tears we anoint you with our hair God we anoint you with our brokenness with our weakness we anoint you father in recognition that you are the one oh God we love you Jesus we love you Thank you. Oh, man. Oh, it's enough. 
look at that, that story of Mary pouring out oil on Jesus' feet, it's actually tied into intercession in the gospel. It says, for wherever this gospel is preached, this story will be told. There's something about pouring oil on the feet of Jesus that sparks intercession for salvation to go forth to the nations. Oh, come on. Jesus, we just proclaim that you would receive what you're worthy of. Every heart, every tribe of your suffering, Jesus. Come, may the Lamb. May the Lamb receive the reward. May the Lamb receive the reward. May the Lamb. Can we just begin to pray that He would begin to receive the reward of His sufferings? That every tribe, every nation, every tongue would come to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus, that your blood would speak a better word than the blood of Abel. Oh, Lord, that you come. You would gather the nations. Have what you're worthy of. that you would have what you're worthy of. That you ask for nations and it would be given to you, Father. And that you brought us into your story when you said go and disciple nations. Little did we know, Father, it was because it's part of your inheritance. We get to take part in giving you what you're worthy of. Oh, take us up in your story. Mark individuals in this room for nations, for communities in Tampa, for boroughs, for cities in Florida. Mark individuals that would burn in the back of churches for churches to reignite. Oh, Jesus, that you would have the reward of your suffering. Well, hey, we're not going to officially dismissed but you guys linger if you need to but we are going to be back here tonight at six o'clock
Praise God. Doors are going to open at 5 o'clock.